401k plans. Again, a benefit plan um, that has a lot of scrutiny over it, over fees, over having a committee, over all these lawsuits with it. It's one-tenth, if not less, the amount of money that employees spend, employers spend for 401k that has all this scrutiny over fees and advisors and all that stuff where employee benefits like this wild west. Like anybody can do what they want. Anybody can charge what they want. Nobody looks at anything. And I, I honestly think there's going to be a day when there's going to be a bunch of lawsuits come out that they're going to start going to some employers and saying, look, why are you spending so much money on this stuff and charging your employees so much money when, you know, this employer down the street's getting it for half the cost for the same stuff and you're not doing a good job. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast focused on blending research and practical advice to help today's HR, talent, and learning leaders improve business outcomes. Let's welcome your host, Ben Eubanks. Hey everyone, this is Ben Eubanks, host of We're Only Human, and I'm so glad to have you here today. We're going to have a really, really great conversation, and I can't wait to share this with you. So, we hear all the time that HR needs to be more financially minded, right? It's too soft, it's too squishy. But the problem is when I'm standing up in front of an audience like I was three days ago, and I say, who in this room, is an HR leaders, who in this room got into this profession because you love data and you love numbers and you love calculating ROI of your activities? Like two hands go up and those people probably are just raising their hands because they want to be, you know, buck the trend. Everybody else says, hey, I got in this because I want to be relational. I want to focus on the people. I want to focus on the human aspect of that. So today we're going to explore someone that has to walk on both sides of that line, both of those paths, the dual row role as both CFO and CHRO. Steve Watson is going to join us in the conversation, and we're going to dive into some of the work that he does and some of the lessons that he can teach all of us, hopefully, about how to be a little more data-oriented as HR leaders, but also understanding what the finance team needs from us, how to how to interact with them best. So, Steve, welcome to the show. Yeah, glad to be here. I'm excited to talk with you. Absolutely. So, let's kick it off. Uh, other than your name, people have no clue who you are. So, tell us a little about who you are and what you do. So I am, like you said, a, a CFO. I, I live in Arizona in the Phoenix area. I work for a social work company here in, in Phoenix. It has about 500 employees. Started as the CFO. I you know, have the financial side. I'm, I have my CPA. And about a year into my tenure here, the HR director left. And they looked at me and they said, well, you know, HR, finance, about the same thing. We'll give you the HR department on kind of an interim basis. And I had this deer in headlights look at them. I'm like, I don't know anything about HR. But the the Sherm uh, conference was coming up the next month. I said, well, if I'm going to take over this area, I'm going to learn as much as I can. And so I went up to Vegas and spent the next three or four days with 10,000 HR professionals in, in Vegas and really started to to learn, understand, got licensed as, you know, PHR, ended up getting my, my SHRM SCP. And, you know, on an interim basis, 10 years later, I'm still, still doing that. And it's been a, a long journey and learning and I really enjoyed some of the things I've, I've been able to pick up over over the last 10 years. So you pulled the interim off probably, right? I don't think it's interim anymore. I, I just joke about it now. But, yeah, still people come up to me and they're like, we want to talk to your HR side. So you put that finance hat down, put your HR because we want that side of you or, or vice versa. So What you need to have under your desk is like a court jester hat. Like, hold on a second. Our HR's in, right? <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready for it. <laughs> or do the little thing like Lucy. Here's my five cents. Can out. You know, you can tell me your problems, and I'll I'll give you advice. So, either one of those. So, what's it like, kind of straddling that line between HR and finance, right? Obviously, you're busy. I think that's a given. 
but what sort of lessons or things could you share, as I mentioned kind of in the, in the lead-in for you, one of the things I would love to get out of this conversation for people to hear is, hey, if in most companies this is two different people, and there's sometimes friction between those two teams because they see the world very differently. They have a different viewpoint and perspective, which is not a bad thing necessarily, but it sometimes causes trouble. So I'd love for you to talk about these are the things that finance need. This is how finance sees the world. This is how HR sees the world. Here's how they can kind of come together. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and I would say at the very beginning, all I could see was the differences between me looking at spreadsheets versus talking to people, um, the background, the culture, how we attack attack different problems, You know, whether we're using data or we're using relationships and culture to attack that. But what I've found over the last, especially the last five years, is how similar the areas are, that we're actually, we're both administrative departments, we're both trying to make the organization better, we're both trying to hit certain certain goals and targets. And there's so much potential for those two areas to work together that's just fascinating to me that we don't work together as much as, as we do, right? That we have this different sides and different, different things. But we speak a very different language. And we're trying to do the same things, but we gotta interpret, we gotta, you know, somebody's gotta come over on the other side and be able to like translate some of the things we're trying to do. And I think that's where the big struggles are. So. Was there something you think that kind of uh, a switch that flipped around that five-year mark? Was it that you got your arms around, okay, you know, maybe I at least understand all the things that we have we need to be doing on the HR side, so I understand that now, and now that it changes for you from just we've got to manage all this to, okay, how can we bring these two things more in alignment? I'm kind of curious if you remember anything. There might not be anything, like, standing out in your mind, but I'm just kind of curious. There's something no, I mean, I, I – I mean, I ended up, I lived in Brazil for about five years and it's just like learning a new language. It's just like the first time you just don't understand anything. And then you spend this period of time and you're just trying to keep up and do stuff. But then there comes a point where you just start, everything just starts making sense and you understand it and you can see from both sides. And then what's, what's fascinating about the area is, is you have so much more tools to attack different problems. And so if I'm a finance or an HR director, but I have analytical tools, I can I can attack the problem from both sides, from a data side and a relationship side, and vice versa for for finance. And so that's probably what hit me around the five year mark is having that skill set and those tools to be able to tackle problems. Interesting. So one of the things you said, and you kind of we've kind of danced around a little bit that the language, the interpreter, the translator kind of metaphor for how we see the world. Right? You just talked about the data side and the personal side. Um, that's one of the challenges that I know that I had in the past when we had our our finance team, our accounting team, like they, it came down to budgets and numbers and things like that. And I always had to remind them, hey, every single point we hear that we're looking at, there's a person behind that and their story and their family and everything else. And it's not, it's not to say that, you know, we can't make some hard decisions because they have to be made, right, financially for the, for the good of business, business, things like that. But at the same time, I felt like I was kind of an advocate for, yeah, let's remember that, right? And you said you work for a social services company, so I think that that probably is already part of kind of the mission. Like we care about people, and that might be a part of those things that kind of blend together in your day-to-day work, anyway. Yeah, and and, and yes, they do because that's the where we come from as a whole organization. Um, I, I think it takes somebody being empathetic and understanding the other other role and. HR, you know, if I was sitting in HR director's shoes and I'm trying to get connected with a finance, like with CFO or something, you need to like step out of your world and stop justifying what it is and just try and see it from their their view. So what is a CFO trying to do? What is their main objective that they're trying to accomplish? They're trying to forecast. They're trying to budget. They have targets they have to hit. They have an amount of money that they have to allocate to different things that have different people fighting over this this money and what is the best use of that that 
those those funds right for that that company and being able to understand that and empathize with that CFO I think would bring a lot of value back to the, the HR you know, HR departments and be able to get their projects through and be able to translate some of the stuff that they're trying to do interesting interesting I like that absolutely it's the, the old Zig Ziglar quote, right? If you help enough people solve their problems, or sorry, if you help enough people get what they want, you can get anything you want, basically. Right? Try to try to help them deal with the things that are that are big deals in their world, and they'll they'll it'll work its way back around. Yeah, and unfortunately, we all kind of sit in our our little buckets, and we just say, I wish they would understand me. I wish they'd come over to my side. I wish they would look at the world from my my views. And if we want to get something done, we have to be proactive and go go onto their world. So let's say some HR leader comes to you or they're listening to this right now. They said, hey, I, I need a little bit of advice, Steve. I, I, you know, I'm not sure how to talk to my finance person. You know, budgets are coming up. I want to have a real awareness of what the priorities are for the business. Like what advice would you give them to have that sit-down conversation? You know, how do they open it? What sort of things do they need to make sure they, they do in that conversation? And it's kind of specific, but I'd love to – like a couple pieces of advice for that because, hey, the end of the year is coming up relatively soon. We'll be here before we know it, and people will be thinking about budgets and everything else. Help that HR leader listening right now have a better conversation this time around. Um, go take them to lunch. So I would, I would, if I was in their shoes, I would try and not talk about anything in my area, any of my my priorities, anything. I would take that CFO to lunch and just talk about the business and talk about their career and talk about what they're trying to accomplish, talk about the struggles that they're they're trying to do, like what's coming up in the budget. Are there even funds available? Are you know what? What's the strategic vision of the, at that company? And just get it from their side and then try and, like you said, that Zig Ziglar comment, try and solve that CFO's problem with your solutions. Like I can help you CFO by doing X, Y, and Z with training, or I can help you if we, with recruiting or, or different things. Love that. That's actually very similar advice to what I give people. I, I mentioned I was speaking this week. Um, about like relationships, influence, change management, like those core pieces of how we get change done. And part of it is, this is so fun to have this conversation with you today because it's part of that is very relational, realizing that soft skills, how can we influence and kind of cajole and get someone to do this thing that they may not want to do. But on the other side, using evidence, using data to try to appeal to the rational side of how they think and how they operate and, and push them. So interesting. I love that, that advice though. Just get outside the box, get outside the, I guess, outside the office even, and try to have a personal conversation with that person, dig in deeper. Yeah, and I would build off of that and say, look, there's that relationship. you got to build that. You want to solve their problems. But I think where a lot of times HR drops off of saying, okay, I have a problem to solve. I have to hit a certain target. I have to hit a certain number this year. And being able to translate your programs, your stuff into that number to show those outcomes. And that's where it gets hard, right? Because I'm doing all this soft stuff. I'm doing all this training. I'm doing all these things that I know over time will help the company. But if that finance person can't see it in the data, it's going to be hard to justify, especially long term. So one of the things that you and I talked about in advance of this interview, we talked about the benefits side of things, right? That seems like a pretty easy way to start that conversation because benefits is one of the biggest line items in the budget, right? It's always a, it seems like it's always a source of frustration, not necessarily always because you have some, some ideas and things to share there, but let's talk about that side of it. Um, other companies that have, that are struggling with this, I, I don't know if there's one out there that, that hasn't had some sort of headache around 
rising healthcare premiums, things like that. So I know this has been an area that you kind of prioritized in the work that you've done. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, and I could get on a soapbox for days on, on this stuff because, I mean, it's the one area where my two worlds converge the best, right? The ability to have the data, the analytical side of things with the, the culture and the retention and recruiting of the HR side. And, I mean, I was just looking at a SHRM, SHRM forecast for 2020, and they were projecting that insurance rates were going to go up 6% next year. And 6% seems like a, you know, it seems high. It seems, it's just like a number. But when you dive into their study and you look that it's supposed to go up $700 per family next year for basically getting the same stuff, all of us should just be ticked off and frustrated. I mean, I, I, I could think of a lot of other things I could spend $700 on in my, my personal life versus just getting the same type of care that I'm getting. But in reality, what happens is employers pay most of that you know, they pay 70% of that that cost. And so if you, again, this is some of the data side, so hang in here with me, but if you take take that amount, that's $700, and say maybe $500 of that's the employer's share and $200 of that's the employee's share, that $500 for every 100 employees that your company has is, is um, my math, it's like $50,000. So what would you do with that money? So if you had $50,000, I can think of HR directors right now, if they had 100 employees and they had to have $50,000 in their budget, they would hire somebody, they would bring in a different technology, they bring in a new payroll system, they would invest in raises for their employees, they could do all this stuff, but every year it's getting sucked up into the insurance carrier year after year after year. So those compound, right? $50,000 this year, $50,000 next year, now 100, 150, 200, so it just keeps going up. And sucking all that money out. And so as in, so my area of finance and HR, I look at that and say, okay, HR has, we definitely have a problem because our benefits are getting more and more expensive. It's harder to recruit and retain employees. On the finance side, it's a huge problem because I'm trying to figure out how to pay for this $50,000 for my 100, 100 employees there. And then I actually had the opportunity, I do a lot of consulting work on the side. I had the opportunity to do some consulting work for an insurance brokerage firm. They were starting up. And it was fascinating to me to be their CFO. I got to peek behind the veil and see this whole messed up world of these experts that we hire, that we bring in-house to help us, but how they get paid more money when our premiums go up. They get paid bonuses and overrides and all this stuff to basically sell us this insurance. But yet when they come into our our house, they they say that they're on our side, right? They're agnostic. It doesn't really matter. They work for us. And it, it's just a huge messed up system that nobody's held accountable for. I mean, if it goes up $50,000 this year, I mean, HR keeps their job, CFO keeps their job, broker usually keeps their job because it's just kind of trend and it doesn't have any accountability with it. And when I look at that, I, I get frustrated and ticked off. You can probably hear it in my voice. I get passionate about this area. But then I also think about how many opportunities we have there. So once I figured that out, once I was able to like figure out that there was there was a problem there, and then if I bought insurance in a different way, I was able to save money. So over the last eight years, we haven't had increases. We're actually, as an employee, I'm paying 15% less than I was eight years ago. My employees are still getting the same Blue Cross plan, the same coverages, but at a lower cost. And it's just – it's been fascinating to me to like go on my own journey, and that's what I've been trying to do is like create this community of people to share and replicate stories and – Kind of getting off topic here, but that's that's what I'm doing and what I get passionate about. And I don't think it's too far off topic because when you said a minute ago, hey, from a people perspective, it's harder to recruit because these benefits are costing more. We we might not can afford that can that we really want and we really need. 
because we can't make the offer to them because our budget's already strapped. And on the other side, the CFO is saying, hey, this, this stuff is eating our lunch, right? This, this benefit stuff is out of control, and we feel powerless to stop it. So that, that is a perfect opportunity for those two parties to come together with a common ground, a common enemy, if you will, right, to try to attack, attack this from both perspectives. And, again, I think that's a, a good way, like we were talking about earlier, that's a problem both of them have. Both of them want to solve they, it. They both do, and they have to do it together because nobody nobody wants to use a plan just built by finance, right? You're not going to be able to recruit and retain employees off this crap kind of finance. But nobody wants to pay for a plan just built by HR because it's just going to have every bell and whistle. Everything's going to be out of control costs. So those two have to come together. Like HR has to have the analytical skills to be able to look at the risk, to look at the, the arbitrage opportunities to buy healthcare in a cheaper way. But then you also have to build the plan that's right for your employees. And so they have to work together. And historically, they don't do it, right? It's, you know, HR kind of works with a broker. They kind of come up with a plan. They kind of take their CFO. The CFO says no, or we're going to lower it down a percent. They just kind of go on their way, right? And then you have this broker that's getting paid more when it goes up. And those three have to come together and do it in a different way. Like just another kind of image in your head. If you, I started my working career, you know, back in the early 2000s, back then deductibles were around $200 per family. I mean, think about it, $200. And it was about $5,000 per family for the whole cost of care. It's four times that amount right now. You think of that like $15,000. What could you do with that money for each employee? You know, raises with technology, with solutions and stuff, and yet we're just giving it to insurance carriers. Well, the thing that I, I got a minute ago, I've used – I used brokers plenty, right? When I worked in HR, and sometimes I had a good relationship. Sometimes it seemed a little, a little strange and strained at times. But it reminds me of that very old article on the folly of hoping for A while rewarding B. We're hoping for A, like some manageable cost of care, some manageable increases, like some insurance that we actually can can use and survive and and be proud of uh, as a company. But we're rewarding them whenever the, the price go the price goes up, they get rewarded more and more. And so we're never going to get them to do A if we're rewarding them for B. To me it's like going and like not knowing anything about used cars, showing up to the used car lot, asking the used car salesman to go out and pick out like the top four cars, bring them to you and have you pick between those four. I mean that's that's what happens all the time. We're using a salesman to help us pick pick these things. Um I know it's crazy. It's like the most messed up system. And and what's ironic to me is again, if you take HR and finance and you take in a different area that they both get involved with, like 401k plans. Again, a benefit plan um, that has a lot of scrutiny over it, over fees, over having a committee, over all these lawsuits with it. It's one tenth, if not less. The amount of money that employees spend, employers spend for 401k, it has all this scrutiny over fees and advisors and all that stuff where employee benefits like this Wild West. Like anybody can do what they want. Anybody can charge what they want. Nobody looks at anything. And I, I honestly think there's going to be a day when there's going to be a bunch of lawsuits come out that they're going to start going to some employers and saying, look, why are you spending so much money on this stuff and charging your employees so much money when you know this employer down the street's getting it for half the cost for the same stuff and you're not doing a good job? You know, you're not. Hmm, that's interesting for sure to think about that as a as almost a what's it called a fiduciary responsibility to manage the funds of the company, right? We we could have we could have paid people more. We could have been more 
more competitive with our well, employee, rate, employees like don't get a seat at the table. And so if you have out of control costs or you're playing your brokers way too much, if you're just forcing your employers, employees to use this, letting it run wild at some time, you think employees are going to get fed up and say enough's enough. And, it, and it's not really until they find out that somebody else is doing it in a different way. And so if you listen to me and you say, okay, people on average have had their costs go up 50% over the last eight years. And at my, my company, it's gone down 15%. That's a big delta. Right, I'm, it's probably at least a half a million dollars, a million dollars a year that some of the employees are paying for, and some of the employers paying for. That should frustrate people, right? And you know, a lot of them will the first they'll say, "Well, you probably have a different demographic. You probably have a healthier employee, maybe, but probably not." I just think that, yeah, and I, I could go off on a whole bunch of other tangents here, but it's there are plenty of in employers that are. Not taking increases every year. I was, I was giving a, I was at a conference, giving, you know, talking about the same subject. And I just had everybody raise their hand. How many of you guys took an increase last year? And out of the group, you know, 95% of them raised their hand. I'm like, well, how many of you guys had a decrease last year? And you know, 5% of them raised their hand. I said, if we did nothing more than have those 5% get up there and tell their story and what they did, and we replicated what they did, we would get so much farther in this this world versus going out and hiring these experts. And and, and but. I'm not trying to like throw brokers under the bus. They, what is, I mean, what is that saying? That a good system will beat a good person any day of the week. It's, it's a bad system. I mean, not a lot of us work harder to get paid less. And their systems built that if premiums go up, they get paid more. If they sell different products, they get paid more. Well, the other, the other side of that now is there are more, more technologies, more tools, things like that that wrap in that broker of record piece. So you're getting more capabilities, more. You know, maybe you can get, even get HR technology stuff, you know, a little bit of HR tech stack with that broker of record without having a separate person, separate company trying to manage those. Yeah, so let me, let me give you – that's that's a really good story there. So I was meeting with an HR director, and she was firing her broker because they were using a Ben Admin system that she was frustrated with. They had wrapped it in their own service, said they white-labeled it, and said this is part of our package here, and the, it was a terrible – been admin system. And so what she was doing is she was going out and interviewing all the brokers here in Phoenix and asking them, show me your Ben admin system, show me the app, show me all, all this stuff. And and I was looking at her and saying, she had 700 employees. I'm like, you can, these systems aren't that expensive. You can just buy them. There's 30 of them out there. You can do it. You don't have to tie it into the, into the broker. But she was adamant. She's like, I'm going to find the Ben admin system. It's going to be better. But she wasn't looking at cost. She wasn't looking at how the plan was structured. She wasn't looking at the options that she had. She was going to take these 10 brokers, narrow them down to two, and then take those two and pass them on to their, her finance person to talk the money stuff. And I'm like, that is the most – I called it the, the million-dollar Ben admin system. It's like going and looking for houses, looking at the washer and dryers in each of the houses, finding the two washer and dryers that you like, and then telling your spouse, oh, go negotiate that that money stuff about buying the house for a, something you could just swap in and out of any house. Yes, absolutely. Two examples of one very small one. Have you heard of GoodRx? Okay, so I'm going to save your family some money. So there is an app you need to download today, so it's called GoodRx. And just explain a little story about this. So basically, GoodRx is a free app that they've gone through all the different pharmacies around the nation and got all of their cash prices around there. So not insurance, just cash prices and stuff. And I would say 95% of the time, they beat all the insurance companies' prices, which is just ridiculous to me that a Blue Cross Blue Shield plan can't buy drugs at a cheaper price than than like GoodRx. And I'd heard about it for a long time. I had the app on my phone, just never really thought about it. But there was one day that my my son had this rash on his leg. And I was like, well, so my wife and I went to the, the, the doctor prescribed this cream. We went to the pharmacy and it was 130 bucks. And my wife's like, you can just deal with it. Like, we'll just, you know, wait, 
you know, hundred thirty bucks. Mom loves you, but you're just gonna you're just gonna be okay. So I'm sitting there, it's late, and I was like, I I, I wonder, I wonder like what GoodRx would say. So I took the same prescription, went into GoodRx, typed it in there, the same dosage at the same exact store. I'm sitting in Walgreens here. It was sixty bucks. It was half the price, and I was floored. I'm like, that is the stupidest thing that I'm buying the same product at the same store. Using insurance was 130 bucks, and using GoodRx was 60 bucks. And then on that app, it shows you all the stores around your area. And so if I would have drove five miles, it would have been 40 bucks, you know, to go to like the local grocery store. So it, it offers you, you can see the cash price basically, though. That's what they're they're showing you. You could walk in there, swipe your debit card, and you can buy this stuff. And if you got an FSA or something else, you can get reimbursed for that, and it's still cheaper for everybody. Well, yeah. So and, and I just thought about that, and so I, we ended up getting the cream. I ended up helping my son, so we got better care for my son that we wouldn't have gotten at like half the price. And that's just one little example for one situation for one family. And you just we were so used to just buying everything through like Blue Cross that they have the best prices for everything, and it's not true. There's plenty other places you can get things so much cheaper that we just got to do it a different way. But we're using the Blue Cross sales rep, these brokers, to sell us their plan. You know, here's another analogy. It's like to me, it's like back in the '90s, I bought all my shoes from like the you know Foot Locker at the mall, right? And over time, there's all these other options like Zappos and online and Amazon and all these other stuff to do it. But if you just keep going to Foot Locker and asking the Foot Locker sales rep what you should buy, they're going to say, here's the shoes here, right? Here's the shoes that keep getting more expensive and just buy them here. And you don't realize that there's all these other places you can buy the exact same shoes at a lower price. And so that's what I'm seeing, especially over the last five years, is many, many opportunities to do that. There's actually a surgery center in Oklahoma that has bundled cash prices at like the tenth the price of so their quality. So you can get like a knee surgery all in for, you know, two to five thousand dollars versus like fifty thousand dollars through the insurance company. And I don't know, it I could go on and on about it. As an employer, you have to set up a different type of plan because you can do wellness in your company, you can do all these different things, but if you don't get to keep the savings, then it doesn't matter, right? If you just pay these premiums, they go away. Um so I don't have you ever been on an HSA plan? Like do you know how they work versus like a PPO plan? I know how they work. I have never been on one. I was very close to getting one earlier this year, and in Alabama, the Blue Cross HSA plans cost the same premium or within 50 bucks of the PPO plans. So there's there's no incentive to do that. But anyway, I, I know how just, it works. Just the structure of how it works, and so and a lot of employers have moved to like an HSA type plan where you you know pay a lower premium, but then you have to pay a higher cost at at the doctor, right? And the benefit of the historically the benefits have been if you're super healthy, you pay lower out of your check, and then you get to keep keep the money, right? That you kind of have savings there. And historically as well, if you've been really sick, the out of pocket maximums have been lower, and so it's Super healthy, better, super sick, better, and in the middle, PPO plans sometimes are better, and sometimes it's HSA plan. But when you think about it on the employer level, all of our stuff's kind of set up as a PPO. We pay a premium every month, and there's no risk to us if it goes higher or lower, but there's no savings if it's better. And then we just wait till that renewal in August and that letter just to see what the next premium is. But if you set up an HSA-type plan at your company, so you take on a little bit of the risk, and so some people call it self-funded. I say that all plans are self-funded at some level. You just decide what level it is. You know, do you pay co-pays? Do you pay deductibles? But there's no there's no reason that companies should be paying you know insurance company to cover co-pays at a doctor's office. I mean, it's like sixty bucks. Like we can cover that. And, you know, at a even emergency room where it's a thousand bucks or something. Like when you look in the financial side of those things, those aren't the things that drive it. Why we get insurance is because none of us want to bankrupt the company because you know John Smith gets cancer, right? That's a million dollars. That's why we have insurance. 
but there's an ability you can buy insurance just for that. You can buy insurance, these stop loss policies that'll cover that incident at whatever level you want at thirty thousand, fifty, two hundred thousand dollars. The rest of it you just pay for it, and then you buy another insurance policy that's like the max that you're willing to pay as a whole company. And you set those two policies in place, and then guess what? You get to keep all the savings. And so you have to change your mentality to a five-year plan. It's just not every every year. Out of those five years, guarantee you one of those years you're going to have a crappy year, so you want to have protections in those years. You'll probably have two years that are just, yeah, yeah okay, it's about what you're expected. And then you're going to have two years that you're going to save a bunch of money that they had just healthy years. I mean, think about your own family. I mean, there's plenty of years you probably didn't spend, probably didn't even go to the doctor, right? And so you, if companies are able to set up these type of plans and you spread it over five years, there's dramatic savings that they can have that I've had. I've had years where I had multi-million dollar claims hit that those insurance policies kicked in. They worked just fine. And then the other years I got to save all the money and you just average them out and it's just the costs are down for the employees. And so, and it's not, it's different, right? It's a different way to set it up. You have, and this is where I say you got to have some analytical skills. You got to have this more hands-on. You got to have this finance. It's worth it. I mean, finance does this all the time and we buy big machines all the time. We buy cost of goods sold, all, all this stuff. We're doing that. We know the price of paper, but we don't dive into like the price of healthcare. That's three million dollars on our. I mean, it's ridiculous. So we don't even dive into that, you know. And then we give it to HR. HR doesn't have the skill set. They don't, you know, they don't have a background in doing these analytical stuff. They turn it over to a broker and trust the broker, who's usually just a sales rep, and it's just kind of lost in that black hole. And I don't know, it just gets me fired up about how we can do it in a different way. And you have some good analogies. I like yeah, that. well, it, it's it's a complex thing that people like. If you use analogies, then it's like, oh yeah, that's right. But you get it, you get it. It's easier to get a handle on it. So okay, I've been taking a lot of notes. My brain, my brain feels full right now. So it should be. I mean, I, and I, and again, the more that I learn, the more I just get like ticked off and just keep learning more. But it and it and at some point, I think we have to own this. I mean, we're the ones signing the checks, we're the ones picking the brokers, we're the ones picking the carriers and and setting up these plans. And so we need to like step out of our bubbles and just start talking to other HR professionals, start talking to other finance professionals. Like, and I've spent like the last couple of years going out and talking to other, any CFO I could find about this. And it's just fascinating what I've learned, you know, from other people that are doing some really cool things and other people are learning from me. And so I'm like, we, we got to do something about this, you know, come together as a community. So what I'm trying to do, so I've, you know, I, again, I'm full-time CFO. I do this HR stuff. And then I had this experience personally to work for this broker for about six months and learned all this stuff. And it just got me thinking about how there's no Yelp reviews for brokers. There's no nobody's teaching us how to do this. I mean, if you become an HR director, you just kind of assume the broker that was there. You just assume that what they're saying is right. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to create. So I'm trying to create this area where there's, you know, if you get, you get a new job as an HR director, you can come into this community and you can learn from other HR directors on how this works. You can have a you know, people that you can call and, and bounce off of. And then as a community, we can vet out brokers that we can we work with, that we all trust and we all use and kind of work all together. So that's what I'm doing. That's my vision. And I, I think it's much needed. I'm getting a lot of uh, positive reaction. People are like really excited about it. Some of the questions are like, well, how do you how do you pay for it? Like, why are you doing all this stuff just, just to do this? And so originally, I was like, well, maybe I'll set up some consulting with companies. I'll help them do this for them. But then a lot of them were like, well, you know, I'm already paying a broker. I don't really want to pay two people. Um, 
so then I went and talked to some of the brokers that are doing some amazing things and said, well, what if I help you get referrals or something? Would you give me part of, you know, like a referral fee? And they said, yeah, we'd love to, to do that. And so that's what I'm setting up. So it's kind of like a affiliate type marketing referral fee for people that I work with that I trust. And so they get new, yeah, they, they get new clients. They're happy. The employers are happy because they're saving hundreds of thousands of dollars and I'm able to to kind of pay for all this stuff. So first time I was speaking, so this, this HR kind of consultant was doing this event here. And so she asked me to speak, to tell my story and do all this stuff. And, and I show up there and I thought it was just for HR and I show up and she has like sponsors that are brokers. And she's like, all these guys are so excited to hear you. They're all going to come to your presentation. I'm like, you do realize, and I'm like, I don't want to tick off all your brokers. Like I'm going to kind of go after them and, and, and not, personally but we all got to be held accountable for this i mean out of control for 20 years like people are like well employers aren't doing anything about it. I'm like we are hiring experts to do this for us like we there's not many areas in our business that we actually bring in a third party to help us do it and look at the results 20 years it sucks like they're not you know um and so i and she's like no people want to hear this they like the transparency and so i just kind of did my my spiel there hr folks loved it and you could see the brokers like their faces just start like <laughs> Dude, because nobody talks about this stuff, right? You know, nobody goes in and talks about, you know, how much money these guys make and how they make money, and you know, and I never even knew that, right? I had no idea that they got all this stuff. I mean, I just—it was funny. I just saw a flyer that said that if you sold a fully insured plan for this new kind of joint venture here in town, they would get fifty dollars per employee as a bonus. And if they'd sold it as like a self-insured kind of these plans that I recommend people do, it'd only be $25. I'm like, why is that? Why is a carrier trying to incentivize this? But then do, do employers realize that out of those four plans that are being presented to them, that one of them may have a $50,000 bonus for that broker tied to it and the other three don't? And how much influence for better or worse? And I'm not saying that they all go out there and just try and pitch it, but there's a reason they put those incentives in because they work. And that influences people and it just ticks me off that employers don't realize that. It's almost like your doctor prescribing you one prescription over another one because he's getting a kickback over it. Like it ticks me off if that happens. I don't care if the pharmacy sales rep makes a bunch of money, whatever, but my doctor who's supposed to help me choose should not get a kickback. Yes, they are supposed to represent me, not represent Yeah, and so them. those brokers come in my house and they say, I represent you, I work for you, I do all this stuff, but I don't have a contract with them. I don't set their rate for them. I don't do any of this stuff because it's all paid through the carrier. I don't. Know. Again, I could keep going. So <laughs> wild. Yes, this is you're 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 deep there. Well, I, one of the notes I made as you're as in the final part as you're talking about just a minute ago was basically that businesses should look at healthcare just like they would any other capital expenditure. They they shouldn't look at this as oh well HR owns that because HR is like well crap I hope no one realizes that I'm not sure what I'm doing here or that I've never managed a health plan before even potentially right that was how you started out. And to me it's a pendulum you, right? It's got to like it's all over in HR right now. Nobody looks at it. Nobody looks at the numbers. We're just trying to get every doctor in there trying to get every hospital in there make all the employees happy get the best administrative services in place that we can we need to bring that kind of bring that pendulum back to the data analytical side and it, it can't go all the way just to finance and just not be in hr as well it's got to come back to the middle yeah absolutely i'm for that if someone wants to get in touch with you wants to connect with you wants to learn more about what you've done more specifics things like that what's the best way to do that so i'm starting a community called trend breakers so trendbreakers.com and if you go on it today it's probably just a draft of a version but the idea is to bring together a community of people of hr of finance of, of brokers as well they're wanting to to do something differently and have a conversation to be able to share so nothing not charging anybody it's not going to be any of that it's just to be able to come together and share between 
everybody what what we're doing. So so trendbreakers.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn all the time talking about about this. So Steve Watson, CPA, you can find me on there and love to connect with you and share stories. Got it. Awesome. Very cool. This has been a lot of fun. I I think I told you when we were setting this up. I, I have not managed a benefits plan like actively. Well, I guess I, I do still now for for our company, but years ago a lot of lives on the plan a much bigger one and i remember sitting there getting the getting the renewal notice and like we dreaded it every year in august is when our letter came and like get that big envelope and like okay i'm gonna sit down and i'm gonna you know like steady myself before i open this because it's gonna be bad i always just knew that and expected that and so it's really great to hear that there is potentially some hope right there are other options there are other there are other opportunities to to manage that better so this has been a lot of fun i really appreciate you joining me on the show Steve. thank you been fun to talk with you absolutely to everybody else this has been another thrilling episode of we're only human and we will catch you next time thank you for listening to we're only human please take a moment to share this episode with another hr leader who might see it as a valuable resource in their daily work For more information about the podcast and to see all our show archives, please visit upstarthr.com.